0: It's great to welcome you here. We've been working our way through the commandments, and we are today on number eight. And of course, we've done You Shall Not Murder, You Shall Not Commit Adultery, from Exodus chapter 20, and uh, now we're on to You Shall Not Steal. There it is, verse 15 in Exodus 20. As we've been looking at the framework of the commandments and how the commandments relate to us and the way that you are with us. Now, can I ask you a question? I've entitled this, Thou Shall Not Steal uh, an Extraordinary Plague. Now, can I ask you a question? How many of you have ever had something stolen from yourself? Yes. How many of you had the sad misfortune of your car being stolen? Ah, it's horrible, isn't it? I hate it. I hate it. Unless they really do a good job at it and, and burn it and get rid of it. But beyond that, you know, it's just when they steal it and they kind of just really damage it. And then the insurance company goes... I think we commend it. You go, oh, really? This is back in England, of course. I drove a Rover 200 back in England in the 90s. The Rover 200 was the most stealable car in the whole of the world. Anybody that was a car thief would steal this Rover 200. And I had one. I had owned a couple, actually. And over owning a couple of these, I had that Rover 200 stolen at least four times. Because young teenagers would come along, and the way it was designed, it was easy. They could pop the door, open the door, get in there. They could break the casing, turn the wires. It would fire up. Fantastic. And off they would race around town for a few hours and then leave it somewhere. It was so depressing buying one of those. They were cheap, and they were British-made. I say no more. And... (laughs) I mean, really, Rover. I mean, who, who, apart from a Land Rover, which of course is a car. And, but I used to do this. I remember one time I went to a meeting and I parked it in a multi-storey car park on the third level. I remembered where it was and I left it right there. And two hours later, I came back. And I went to get into the vehicle, but I couldn't get in. And then I noticed the vehicle was opened. And I noticed that my vehicle had moved from that spot to three spots down. And then I noticed in the, in the back of the vehicle were things that didn't belong to me. And what had happened was somebody had stolen... The same car, driven around, found my car, parked it three spaces down, left that car for me, and then got into this one. Are you confused? I was. Such out to phone the insurance company. We hate stealing, don't we? We hate it. Well, we live in a culture of of where people are stealing. And if you live in an urban area with lots of people, it gets even worse. People are stealing all the time. When one goes to such a website like website www.cheatingculture.com, This is a a website to stay away from. But it says there, it estimates that 79% of us admit to stealing or considering stealing from our employer at least once in our lives. 79% of you, look at you all. There's only 21% of you that haven't considered that. And those are the ones wearing the halos. We talked about that last week. 79% CNN reported that one out of every three businesses goes out of business because of employee theft. It's a problem. Tax is evaded. Mortgage applications are slightly massaged and manipulated. Grant applications are faked. Phony business loans are claimed. You know, with a little bit of cash flow forecast that has a more element on faith maybe with it. We experience this all the time. When we have to sell a business or a deal, a product or a house, we, it's hard at times for people to be totally honest about the good points and the bad points, particularly the bad points, closer to home and at work. People today, an epidemic, will take paper from their firms. A dozen sheets here, a dozen sheets there, a little bit that doesn't hurt. I mean, I've worked for it, haven't I? And there are am, but we would never dream of walking out of our business with all the years worth of paper that we're planning to borrow, would we? No. I can tell you're quiet. Amen. But we would never dream of this. Once a year, you know, full of carton of paper. That would be stealing, wouldn't it? It would make our phone calls from the office, the acquired paper clips. You know I, I heard about a guy that kept stealing and stealing stealing paper clips from his office relentlessly, and when they finally went round to his house after ten years, the house was full of paper clips, a mountain of paper clips. Now you could call him a kleptomaniac, but sorry well, you know sometimes you need those jokes, you know, but it's it's We, we... It wasn't that bad. Uh, Really? I mean, perhaps it was. But you know, who needs staples when we acquire paper clips, pens, post it stamps from work? No one needs staples when we have this endless supply that is available for us. We have phony days off work, take extended coffee breaks, maybe, make those little detours for the shoppings on business trips. You know, this is making us feel uncomfortable, maybe. It's supposed to. One. You know, we understand this, and we may have a problem with helping ourselves to stuff that we shouldn't help ourselves to. So that gives you a bit of a a picture. Not a picture that we're not unfamiliar with, but of course, as Christians, we do not believe in stealing, so therefore, we do not steal. True? Good. Well, what's the heart of the matter? of this commandment. What is this commandment all about? Well, like idolatry is not about some shiny gold image in a temple. And we've talked about that. It is more subtle. Idolatry is when things and of the goods themselves and things that we want, we worship and they take the place of God in our lives. And the reason we can be forced to steal or find ourselves in this situation is because we're putting something before. God Almighty in our lives. You see, God doesn't want anything before us. Let's start with a scripture here. Luke 16 verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. As you look at this verse for a moment, let's hold it up. Look at the verse there, that little word there that I love in this scripture that is a really amazing. And what is this? It is the word devoted. Devoted. Now, I was going to have a $50 bill on me at this moment. I don't know if anybody's got a $50 bill or a $100 bill on them. Has anybody got that? If you've got that, just pop it up here. Thank you very much. That's good. Uh, another 50, another 100. Anybody else got another? Look at this. Doug's getting it out. Who's got it? for Look, look, you're all... You, the offering's come, and you've got... Thank you, Doug. Give him a round of applause. Wow. That is amazing. A hundred dollar bill. I haven't you seen one of these before? It's been a long time. You can tell he's retired. Um, but this, this, this word devoted, it simply means in the Greek, it means to have indirectly in front of your eyes and to gaze at. So it's like Jesus is saying you can't serve two masters and here you have you can't serve money or this, but you know you have to avoid being devoted and it's what we are devoted to. So here we have $100 and it's a little bit Jesus is painting this picture that what happens is we gaze on it and we don't just gaze on it but we fix it in front of our eyes. So imagine, I think this might be a fake, imagine... Imagine that there's a little wire over my head, clipping to this $100 bill. And I spend my life walking around like this, gazing at this $100 bill. There's a man on here. There's definitely a fake. The Queen's not on here. And... And so you look around and you spend your life walking around gazing, devoted, gazing, devoted. This is what Jesus is actually saying. He's saying the problem is with with money is that you must not be devoted to it and you must not spend all of your time gazing on it, close up, personal, that it's right there in front of you. Amen? And so moving on. It's what they call a pastor's tip. Um, now, Doug, you can have it back, really. Of course, you can have it back. I'll just pop it. Um, pop it. Yeah, come and get it. I'm not gazing at it. Be devoted to Jesus, not to. Well, well done. Have you got the idea? I think we start to steal when what happens, we start to gaze on things. That rather than the Lord himself. We start to become um, unethical. And we start to approach our life in a completely different way. And start to do little things around. And start to massage. And start to work in certain ways. Because our gazers moved from Jesus Christ. And our gazers moved on to something else. So what are we going to do? Of course... We have to ask the question about stealing, about whose things are they anyway? For many people... The world and everything in it is a product of chance. Therefore, because there is nobody to answer for the issues, therefore, I can do whatever I want. We've evolved, we've come here by complete chance. Therefore, if I can get away with it, I will get away with it. But the Christian view, of course, is completely different. God, who made the world and who gave us the commandments, is still very much alive and active in the world today, and he owns everything. Everything and everything comes from him. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as the head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Do I hear an amen? That's good, isn't it? All of this belongs to the Lord. Ultimately, everything belongs to him. Ultimately, everything belongs to him. Our property, our rights, our wealth, it is all God's. Get that right in your mind and suddenly your view on stealing and this commandment completely changes. Imagine it a little bit like this. Some of the most frightening individuals when I was growing up. And I'm sorry if you're one of these people. One of those people that in in the big, glorious, glorious cathedrals to learning. When you'd walk into a library. As I was growing up as a little kid, we'd have a big, old Victorian library. And it would all be silent. And behind there would be the librarian. Mm. You know what I'm saying, don't you? Those overdue books at the moment. You know who you are. And then the librarian, in English libraries, they would look at us and they would go, if we would even speak as children, they would go, shh. And it was like, it was like, Witchcraft. It was terrible. And we'd all be afraid of the librarian. And they'd have our, our, every detail down. They'd know what we'd taken out. And I went to a very big English school that in a big Victorian building with a massive, glorious library. And in this library was this librarian who terrified me. With the beard She was a special woman. And, and when you take this out, she would terrify me. You bring that back. She had a list. She had everything. Now, let me just say to thing. One thing I learned by English horrific librarians. By the way, Canadian libra- librarians are wonderful. If you, if you have that employment and you belong to this church, God bless you. Just don't look at our family account online. Uh, but on loan... See what we've got to remind ourselves is that actually our whole life is loaned out by God. I more I more than I own my house, my car, my bank balance, my, than I do my own library books. They have all, in different ways, been issued to me. They remain the possession of someone else. One day will be returned to him. The difference is that while the librarian may be merely a smile and a thank you, God will ask you exactly what you did and how you administered those things that God gave you, that God lent you, that God allowed you to enjoy within creation in the very words that we cheered in those scriptures that we read together is this, God has loaned us all things and how we treat those things is critical to our relationship with God. So we've got to be bring it to him as an offering. So the question really is that when we steal, who are we really stealing from? When we steal, when we wrongfully do something, when we steal from a company, we steal from another human being, when we steal, who do we steal from? We steal from God. And one thing I want to remind you about God is this is that stealing insults God's massive generosity to humanity. God has given us breath. God has given us life. And when we choose to steal, we insult his generosity. Another fact to think about in connection with stealing is that when we steal, we are denying God's care and love towards us. What Wretch is saying is when we kind of manipulate things, when we live in that kind of dishonest, gray world, when we make choices that aren't clear and right, what we're really saying is that God cannot provide for all of our needs and God is not generous. So we have to be honest about that. Brutally honest about your actions. We may use little words like, I've borrowed it, I acquired it. I sort of helped myself. But we must be honest about theft in all of our lives and be willing to look at the kind of people that we are. We have to remember the cost of theft. All breaches of God's commandment have a cost that come with it. And this one is no different. There are particular costs to victims. Many people, and we've talked about this, who have been burgled, as my own family have in the past, you feel the pain of this. Paul writing to the young Christians in Corinth put it this way, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? It's quite a heavy passage in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. Do, you not, do not be a de- deceived, neither the sexually immoral or the idolater, nor the adulterer, nor the men who have sex with men, nor the thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanderers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is hard teaching. Look at yourself. Look at what grabs hold of you. He actually says, if you live this way, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You say, this isn't good news. This is bad news. Well, the good news comes in verse 11. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, we're justified. But just because we're justified and that God forgives us, it doesn't mean that in our integrity and the way that we live, that we allow gray areas to sneak in, that we allow our integrity to be questioned, that we allow ourselves to slip because we've got to ask ourselves the question, we have an enemy who steals from us and when we steal, we are becoming not like Jesus, we're becoming like the enemy in front of us us. We're becoming like Satan. Why? Because he's the prince of thieves, isn't he? John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Stealing and robbery belongs to the characteristics of the evil one. It is a sobering thought as we look at this subject to think that, that the more we steal, the more we allow little theft, the more we allow this to become part of the lives, we look less and less like Jesus Christ and we more look more and more like the power of darkness and the prince of darkness and Satan. In other words, stealing is such a part of evil that we must not allow theft to infect our lives lives. But sometimes we've got to look at our own lives. Whoa. Satan will always steal. Satan will always kidnap any areas of our life where we give him a foothold. So we are told not to steal. The word steal in Exodus is, in Exodus 20, Is is the word that is translated as to take away secretly, to deceive. And what the enemy loves more than anything is to steal and take away secretly and deceive. He does it in our lives. He wants to take away secretly joy. He wants to take away secretly our prayer life. He wants to take away our devotion to him. He wants to secretly take away. But the word actually in the Hebrew, the steal, actually uses the word kidnap as well. It's the same root word. And when we think about this kidnapping, same word that they, that comes, you think, That's a helpful picture for me. Because the reason we should hate stealing so much is because humanity has had so much stolen from it through the fall, through sin, through darkness. At the very beginning of humanity in the garden, the enemy robbed us of a relationship with God. The enemy robbed us of the garden. The enemy robbed us of true life. The enemy came and robbed us and stole from us again and again. And what Christ doesn't want, he doesn't want to steal from us. He wants to give back what is rightfully ours through the cross. But the word here steal is used in another story in the Old Testament. In Genesis 37, Genesis 40 and chapter 44 it's the story of Joseph when Joseph was so- stolen away by his brothers sold into slavery and sent to Egypt he was kidnapped Genesis 40 verse 15 says i was forced to be carried off from the land of the hebrews And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. You see, what the enemy loves to do with stealing, he loves to kidnap areas of our lives, and he loves to put us into dungeons. You meet people in dungeons, don't you? We meet people who have oh, perhaps because of actions of brothers or actions of relatives or actions of business partners or actions of partners or wives or husbands who areas feel like their lives have been stolen away, kidnapped, kidnapped has taken away maybe your confidence, your vision, your birthright as a child. The enemy loves to kidnap stuff away from us. He starts in small ways, but then he can take us. And it's often through other people and what they say. It can rub our joy. It can rub our confidence. It can rub our freedom. And what Jesus' hates is a whole generation where the thief has come to steal and to kidnap what is rightfully ours. So when I look at this, thou shalt not steal, I, I want to turn it around and ask ourselves the question, what areas of our own lives, we should hate stealing, but what areas of our own lives has the enemy kidnapped and stolen from us what areas are those so how do we process this in our own lives well very simply the key word is this word and the word is integrity we need to seek integrity in every part of our lives We need to look for areas and go always on the area of integrity. Integrity in the state of we want to be innocent. We want to be trustworthy. We want to be morally upright. We want to be free from dishonesty in every area of our lives. And the most dreadful thing in the marketplace is when there are businessmen and women who have lacked integrity, who are known as Christians, and they have sought to go into that gray area. Even though we may lose out, we must learn to hold on to our integrity, integrity in our home life, integrity in our work life. And we say, Lord, take my life because I don't want to be one that is stealing in any way. I want to have integrity at the heart of who I am. Now, I don't know what that means for you. I don't know how that approaches your life. I don't know how that approaches your areas. But allow the Spirit of God to search you as an individual and ask the Lord, Lord, is there any areas of my life where I show a lack of integrity because I want to follow the example of Christ and I want to have integrity flowing through my heart and my life? We have to keep watching ourselves. Integrity at work. Work is good and necessary. This is meant to be fulfilled and beneficial. The Bible makes it plain that we are to do our work as if we are doing it to God himself. Ephesians 6, 7. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. That word hard, wholeheartedly is a really interesting word. It means do it in a favorable disposition. It's as simple as that. It's like when you go to work and you may hate hate your boss, you may find it difficult, you may find the environment so harsh and so hard, and yet you want to, you know, steal away this, or do that, or not give your best, what God actually says to you is this, you approach your work in this way, because work is good, work is God-given, and approach it with a favourable, blessed disposition, with all of your heart, and if you approach it this way, because your boss isn't that boss who's in that corner office, your boss is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and what God wants is a whole Christian generation who are known for their passion, for their good attitude, and for their integrity, that Christ is the center of their world. And what they want to know is, I really want to employ those people from Willow Park Church. Why? Because they're such amazing people. And you know, I want to employ them because they have such integrity. They have such life. You can trust them. And I love what God is doing in that Christian community. They're amazing people and amazing workers. Wouldn't that be amazing? You know, but in some areas it is like that. I know a lady that owns a restaurant up the hill who's my friend. And uh, I won't mention it because we, we don't promote any businesses but um, or anything like that, but it's called Hillcrest. But as you go up there, I, I often talk to Barbara there who... Um, Family have been on that site since 1920, and she'll say, Oh, hello, Phil, and we'll talk and have coffee. And she loves just to employ Willow Park youth in her restaurant, it's always there. She loves it. She says, oh, send me some more of the Willow Park youth. They're so good. The only problem is they just keep going on about going to church on Sunday. And I have to say, well, not all the time. She says, but they're so good. They're so encouraging. They've got such a good disposition. They're so wholeheartedly. And that's a good testimony, isn't it? I think it's an example of how we can be known... Because of what Proverbs calls in chapter 16, verse 11, honest scales and balance are from the Lord. And I know it's talking about a literal honest scale, but will you be an honest scale in the workplace? That when people ask you to balance, that you always give the truth and the honesty, and you're stealing from nobody. And when we apply ourselves like this, we realize. Of course, the biggest story in Scripture is Zacchaeus. Why was Zacchaeus able to do what he did after this very brief meeting with Jesus? You know, he did something that well-trained, properly disciplined, mature believers never do. he gave 50% of his wealth to the poor, amazingly and instantly. And those he had robbed because he'd met Jesus, he gave back fourfold. And the word in verse 9 in that beautiful scripture is, today salvation has come to my house. See, the emphasis is added here, specifically on Zacchaeus, that salvation has come to his house. Now, I know what you think, and I think, because we live in the 21st century, our house is like my house a 1976, duplex, house, square box. I've told you about it before. You can walk through the front door, and you've got a choice. You can go downstairs or upstairs. It's it's magnificent. There's a lounge downstairs, a lounge upstairs. Do you know these houses? Built all over Canada, duplexes. I hope that's the term, but you know what I'm talking. A box with two levels, and and a great garden. And you read this scripture, you think, oh, salvation comes to the house. So that's, that's salvation to Phil and Michelle and Josiah and Isabella uh, and Emily and Jessica and Sonny the dog. <laughs> salvation could never come to that dog. But I'm sorry, I'm praying for it. But you, th- you think that's it? You see, in the Greek, in the original, in in this culture, when salvation came to a house, it came yes to the family, yes to the children, yes to everybody, but the house was the place of business as well, and it came to the marketplace, it came to the business, it came to where you worked, and this is why this is so impressive, because Zacchaeus, there was no separation between my home life, my worship life, and my work life. When salvation came to Zacchaeus, it came to his marketplace. It came to his work life. And then the Bible uh, talks about household. It encompasses the extended family, the marketplace What he did as a tax collector, processing, it came to every areas. Fishermen lived by the sea. Farmers worked the land. The physician took care of patients. The garment maker worked at home. All of these professions took place in the home and in the home environment in the ancient world. So when salvation came and God saved you, it blessed every area of your life and infected the integrity of the way that you work in the marketplace. So do you ever separate these two issues? Because... When salvation has come to your life, don't put God into a box. The idea is that it makes you the most amazing employee. When salvation comes to you, it affects the way we run our families. When salvation comes to you, it makes us the most generous people because we were once a people that had been kidnapped and sold into slavery. But Jesus Christ led us free and he has raised us up to the position of sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Just as Joseph was raised up to become the prime minister of Egypt, you have been raised up to be a daughter, a son of the living God. And let's not lack in integrity. Let's excel in the way that we live. Let's believe that we have have the right attitude because he has taken us from the dungeon and he's placed us in the heavenly realm. He saved us. And that's why the way we handle ourselves is so very important. And that's why it's good to have a massive inventory. look at our lives. Look at the way that we live. Look at the way that we file our tax returns. Look at the way that we look at the way we conduct ourselves in business. The way that we have the scales on the building site. The way we approach our life. Strive to allow Christ to renew not only your household, but the place where you work. Because you're doing it for Jesus. What a privilege that you're no longer being kidnapped, but you are free and free indeed. And when you become a Christian, oh, it changes. I led loads of kids to the Lord on the streets in my 20s. And the funniest moment ever was when they used to confess to me all the crimes that they'd done, all the stuff they'd sold and and got. And I used to say, well, get all the stolen stuff together and we'll take it down the police station and we'll hand it all in and you can confess and we'll get it all sorted out. Oh, the face on the police officers was fantastic. Yeah, well, you, well I, I stole from this and I did this, I did that. It was amazing. It was Zacchaeus. And when you meet Jesus, it changes the whole household, every area of your life. Let's pray together. Just for a moment, search your own heart and ask yourself a question where you may have been stealing from God. We haven't even talked about giving or generosity, tithing. But search your own heart and ask the Lord. Lord. Maybe there are areas in your own life where you're sat here and you realize that you've never experienced salvation where Christ has saved you. And you're not a Christian. Or you're so distant that you need to give your life back to Christ now. That's you right now as Christians are searching their own lives and asking the Lord about their own wholeheartedness, their own integrity, their own devotion. Everything belongs to the great heavenly librarian. We love him. But maybe you're not. And tonight you want to get saved. This is a prayer I prayed when I gave my whole life to Jesus. Say it softly to yourself between you and God. And you tonight can get right with God. Say it quite softly in your mind. Dear Lord Jesus, dear Lord Jesus, I give my whole life over to you. My whole life over to you. There are areas where the enemy has robbed me. I can see I've been kidnapped by darkness. But I ask you to forgive me now. Forgive me for the wrong choices I've made in my life. Forgive me for not serving you. But now I give my whole life to you. And I ask you to forgive me. As you gave yourself for me on the cross, I give myself to you and I choose to be a Christ follower. Choose to be a Christ follower. Just for a moment, as every head's bowed, you prayed that prayer to give your whole life to Christ, to be a Christ follower tonight. Lord Jesus, I pray now that you will come and touch these dear Loans lives who responded to you and said that they want to put you first. In Jesus' name I ask. Fill them with that presence of your love. Fill them with your grace. Meet with them, Lord, I pray. Surround them in your goodness. And for all of us, Lord, show us areas where we need to get it in line with you. Thank you that you forgive us. Thank you that we can have life and life to the full and give us the courage to live in that integrity of you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.